Good morning, everyone. Our scripture today will be from the New Testament book of Mark, Mark chapter 15, verses 6 through 15. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn there. And Mark 15, 6 through 15 is on page 721, and you can also follow along uh, on the screen behind me. Now, it was the custom at the feast, that's the Passover feast, to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. You want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. This is God's word. This is God's word. A story about grace. A story about a substitute. A story that explains why we are gathered here every Sunday. Because every part of our worship service, from the singing to the teaching to communion to the giving to the baptizing, every part is about a substitute. A story about an innocent man who was put to death and condemned, deprived of his life so that we, the guilty, might have a new life, a fresh life, a powerful life, a life that extends beyond this life. That's that's what this is about, and that's why we gather, and that's why we celebrate because because we have received an unexpected and undeserved second chance. We worship the God of a second chance. The God, the God that we worship is a God in which there are no lost causes. You're here today for the first time and you're looking for a second chance or you feel like a lost cause, this is the place where you need to be today. And this is the story that we need to hear. And it's a story about God's riches at Christ's expense. A story of grace. About the life of someone named Barabbas. Barabbas. 
he comes onto the stage of Scripture very quickly and unexpectedly, and then he exits very quickly and unexpectedly. And I want us to consider his life this morning. I want us to simply ask three questions. Who was Barabbas? Who was he? What's the Bible tell about him? And then I want to find out who freed Barabbas? Who released him? And then thirdly, what does that have to do with my life? Who was he? Who freed him? What does this have to do with my life? Well, let's talk about the first question. Who was Barabbas? Well, let's start with his name. Now, in 21st century America, we name children, and often the naming, not everybody now, but often the names that we give our children, you know, have kind of more to do with, I don't know, call it audible curb appeal. It it, it just kind of sounds nice. It kind of flows with the last name. And and so we're, we're listening for the melody of that naming. And that's really not quite the way it was in the first century. Typically what would happen is you, your name had to do with, with uh, maybe a vocational heritage that took place. And so when we consider the name Barabbas, Bar Abba, Bar Abba, son of the father. Now isn't that interesting? Here Mark presents to us this historical person who lived and yet the context of this person's name gives the reader an immediate heads up that they are forced to choose between two sons of the father, Bar Abba. And then the other option would be Bar Rabban, son of the rabbi. And if we consider how rabbis were often called fathers as by a title in the first century, you see how? How we learn a little bit about what Barabbas's lineage or his family would have been like. His father was a, a rabbi, a pastor. His father, which means his family would have been uh, known. His family would have been well-connected. His family, he would have come from education. He would have come from a family of influence, this Barabbas. And in fact, Matthew's gospel in some versions tell us uh, that uh, Barabbas had a personal name the name Jesus. So again, the reader is confronted with these two choices, these two visions, these two futures, choosing Jesus the Christ or Jesus Barabbas. Which will it be? Jesus. Which Jesus? Barabbas. Barabbas was a known terrorist. So, This is another story about a preacher's kid gone bad. That's really, that's really what his occupation was, his vocation was. Uh, He was a part of an insurrectionist movement. He wasn't just a, he wasn't just a petty thief. Oh yes, yeah, he committed robbery along with the other 
thieves that were incarcerated. And when the Bible says that Jesus was crucified between two thieves, well, yeah, in a sense that they were thieves because, you know, insurrectionists still have to eat in between their insurrections. And so what they typically do is they deprive people of their money and often their lives. And so that, that's just the, that's just the, 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 the part-time, the, the, the thievery and being a bandit was just part-time vocation. The main vocation was political revolution. They hated the Roman Empire. They hated that Rome had occupied their land. And so, uh, so that he was a terrorist, Mark tells us, and he was a known terrorist. And I think that's why we don't know any more about Barabbas than what the scriptures tell us. Because, you know, we're not the first audience to read the Gospels. The Gospels were intended for the first readers. And so Matthew tells us that Barabbas was a notorious terrorist. So those first readers in the first century would have seen the name Barabbas and oh, they they wouldn't have needed to know any more information because he was notorious. He was a rock star among terrorists. He had a following, which means he had a charisma about him, which means he was kind of smart here in gaining followers, trying to do a desperate deed through desperate means by any possible desperate measures. He was definitely a desperate man in wanting to to, to be a part of a a political overthrow of the Roman Empire there in uh, uh, the Holy Land. And and, and he wasn't the kind of person that, you know, the, 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 the the average synagogue-going Hebrew family would look up to. I mean, I mean, Barnabas was the reason. Barnabas w- was just one more excuse for the Roman Empire to come and enact a police state all over Israel. So, so they didn't too much care for Barnabas at all. This son of a father, son of a rabbi, who was a known terrorist, who was convicted. His trial had already taken place. He was guilty of murder and insurrection. And he was then awaiting crucifixion. Now, the Gospels don't specifically say that he was awaiting crucifixion. But what else do the Romans do to convicted insurrectionists? What else do they do to convicted terrorists? I mean, it's not like they're going to put them in a correctional institution. Right? They, they, the Romans didn't have that, all right? And it wasn't like they were going to put him uh, in, you know, they didn't have a, a you know, Colorado Supermax facility. They didn't have that. Well, actually, they did. That was it, the cross. The cross was the Supermax facility. And once on that cross, they never had a prisoner escape, you see. Uh, well, that's who Barabbas was. This known terrorist, convicted of murder and insurrection, awaiting crucifixion. And yet, he was freed. Who freed him? How does that happen? How how does Timothy McVeigh escape the cross? That's who we're looking at here. Well, when we look through these verses that we read, I suppose the first person we should look at is Pilate, right? 
I mean, because in Mark chapter 15, verse uh, 15, it says, Pilate released Barabbas, right? And so it's tempting to think that Pilate was the one responsible for releasing Barabbas. But, but, but why did he release him? Why did he free him? What was all that about? Well, back up a little. Wanting to satisfy the crowds, that's why he let him go. Pilate was a people pleaser, and he was willing to sacrifice an innocent man, one that he had already declared and pronounced innocence and not guilty. He was willing to sacrifice an innocent man for the sake of political expediency. And I can't help but ask the question, where does that show up in my life? Where, where does the pilot in me come alive? Where do I let expedience overrule wisdom? Where do I allow comfort to overrule justice, peace to overrule truth? When am I tempted to crucify what's right so that what's easy can go outside and play? I suppose in academics, you could call it plagiarism. In business, you could call it lying or cheating. I'll tell you what you call it in ministry, telling people what they want to hear. Yeah. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, in the last days, people will gather around them teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. How often does the pilot in me want the Barabbas in me to go free. And there's another word for that. It's called denial. (laughs) See, not wanting to face the whole cold, hard facts, the brutal facts of my current reality, not wanting to face the truth, but to want to try to just just get it out of the way. Where does the pilot show up in your life? Well, I don't think he acted by himself, right? What about those chief priests? Now, Pilate says, it's in Mark chapter 15, verse 10. Do you see that there? Knowing that it was out of envy that the chief priests handed Jesus over to him. Oh, they were just as much a part of freeing Barabbas as well. Why? Because it was out of envy. Out of envy. And you know what? Over the past 2,000 years, the word envy hasn't changed. The definition hasn't changed in 2,000 years. It meant what it meant in the first century. It still means it today. You know what envy is, don't you? Envy is my distress at your success. That's envy. My distress at your success. My anger at you doing well. Where does that show up? Where does that show up in in, in our lives? We can see very clearly how it showed up here. The crowds were going over to Jesus and the chief priests, they they were feeling threatened because, I mean, here was one who spoke truth. Here was one who spoke the very words of God and and the crowds were going over to them. Hey, hey, but but, 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 but what about me? John chapter 12, 19, they lament. See how the whole world has gone after him. You see, in the end, It wasn't a matter of Jesus uh, teaching heresy. It was a matter of attendance figures. It was a matter of influence. It was a matter of popularity. 
And you know Peter confronted those same chief priests and Caiaphas about this in the book of Acts when he said, you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. They were driven by envy. They were, they were distressed by the power and the truth and the spirit-filled words of Jesus Christ. And they just couldn't handle it. Where does that show up in my life? We see someone else, they get the raise, or they get that house, or they get that car, or their kids are doing well and mine aren't, and, and we're just, or, or they look like they have a healthier marriage, and why, God, I pray too, and I serve too, and why am I not getting what's mine? We look over the aisle and we just, we seethe with distress because we see someone else's success. Where does that show up? Once upon a time, there were three churches in a small community, and they were struggling to survive. And then the third church, third church got a new pastor, and that pastor was very gifted, very talented. Why that pastor had the, the that pastor had the heart of Mother Teresa and the charisma of Will Smith. That pastor started teaching and the church started growing. Why, the the church became bloated with people there in that small community. And those those two other pastors looked and they just, oh, wow, that that, that church is growing. That, That pastor must not be teaching the truth. And then they remembered a rumor that they heard about that pastor. Was there some kind of sexual indiscretion? Who knows? And the rumor spread. People began to wander. And after a while, the pastor's family was shamed. And a little while later, they left town. Envy won and turned two preachers of the truth into liars. My distress at your success. Where does that happen? Where does that show up? Who freed Barabbas? Who was it? Pilate? The chief priests? Well, certainly we ought to look at the crowd, right? Right? See, see, they wanted... See, they didn't want the Jesus as he was presented. They wanted their own Jesus. They, they wanted a custom-fit Christ, didn't they? They wanted a Jesus who agreed with them. They wanted, a, they wanted a 31 flavors Jesus. And that ice cream, that ice cream still goes around today. It's not freezer burnt. Not after 2,000 years. 
So often people want the Jesus who happens to agree with them, and so they, and so they go after, the, they go after the, the, the political Jesus, the Marxist Jesus. The, they go after the, the Republican Jesus, the Democrat Jesus, the Green Party Jesus, the, the Tea Party Jesus. They go, after, they go after the spirituality Jesus. The Jesus who hates religion, churches, pastors, doctrine, who'd rather have people out in nature finding the God within while listening to ambiguously spiritual music. Some go after the platitude Jesus. The platitude Jesus. Good for Christmas specials, greeting cards, and bad sermons. Inspiring people to believe in themselves. Then there's the revolutionary Jesus that people want to go after. That's the, that's the Jesus who teaches us to rebel against the status quo and to stick it to the man and blame things on the system. In, in, some, in some countries, it's serious. Salvation is through the barrel of a gun. And then what about the guru Jesus, right? The, the wise, inspirational Yoda who believes in you and helps you find your center, and what about the good example Jesus who, who, who shows you how to help people, encourages you to recycle and change the planet and you become a better you? The good example Jesus. And then there's, we can't leave out the boyfriend Jesus. The boyfriend Jesus wraps his arm around us as we sing about his intoxicating love in our secret place. Well, these are idols, that's what they are. They are. They're idols. And against these counterfeit Christs stands Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, not just another prophet, not just another rabbi, not just another wonder worker. He was the prophesied one, the Son of David, the seed of Abraham, the deliverer from captivity, the goal of the law, Yahweh in the flesh, the healer of the sick, the giver of sight, to the blind, the messenger of good news to the poor, the true emperor of God's reign, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world. And here's the deal. The Jesus we look like comes from the Jesus we want most. What do you want most? We are what we want. What do you want? So who freed Barabbas? Ultimately, church family, I'm not convinced that it was either Pilate or the chief priests or the crowd. Ultimately, Jesus was the one. He was the one who freed Barabbas. Was he not the one who said to Pontius Pilate in John 19, 11, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above? Was he not the one who said that? Was he not the one who said in John chapter 10, verse 18, no one takes it from me. No, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. He laid down his life for Timothy McVeigh. He substituted himself for a guilty terrorist and he did it of his own accord. And when he did it, he didn't say to Barabbas, you know, as Barabbas was leaving, now, you know, earn this. He didn't say that, right? Remember, remember, that, remember that part of the movie in Saving Private Ryan when Tom Hanks, spoiler alert, um, 
He's been shot, and he's there lying there, leaning against the motorcycle, and he's bleeding out. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you know uh, Matt Damon comes to him, and he, and he put, puts his hand on his arm. Remember what he said just before he expired? Remember what he said? <laughs> he said, earn this. Thank you. Now you're clapping. <laughs> See, you're clapping. You're clapping because you're not an army ranger. Okay? Do we have any army rangers in here? Huh? Well, now you're going to learn something. An army ranger. An army ranger would never say to someone that they've helped, you know, earn this. Never say that. You know what they'd say? You know what they'd say? They would give the ranger motto. You know what the ranger motto is? Huh? Sua sponte. Sua sponte. Of their own accord. Of their own accord. I did this of my own accord. I did this for you. See, out of love, out of sacrifice. See, and that's what we see going on here. He laid down his life, and, and, and you know, it doesn't say that, you know, Barabbas was going to, like, you know, kind of good, so Jesus met him halfway. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, not while we were on the mend, or, you know, while we were getting a little bit better, or, you know, while our attitude improved some. No, it says while we were still sinners. Romans 5 says, while we were enemies, Enemies, that's when Christ died. See, who really cared about Barabbas? Can you tell me anybody in this chapter? Did you think Pilate gave a rip about Barabbas? Why do you think he put him up there opposed to Christ? Because in his mind, he was thinking, well, the crowds will pick Jesus of Nazareth. They would never, they would never choose Timothy McVeigh over Billy Graham, ever. But they did, see, they did. And what about the religious leader? What about the chief priest? What was Caiaphas going to do? You think Caiaphas was going to send him to celebrate recovery? Huh? Well, you know, going to make a project out of him? No. Caiaphas could have cared less. And the crowds, what? They just, they've just a mindless mob mentality. Well, Wasn't their only motive for freeing Barabbas based on how it would benefit them? How did Jesus benefit from this? See, that's what grace is, though. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace costs the giver everything and costs the receiver nothing. And you know what? We don't even have any evidence that Jesus and Barabbas ever met. We don't. Now, now, the movies and paintings would have us believe that Pilate's here in the middle and he brought Jesus out to his right and Barabbas to his left and then the crowds chose. 
That's not what the Bible says. It doesn't. Now, the Scripture does say that Pilate brought Jesus out to the crowds. Yes, but as far as we know, where, where, where was Barabbas? Where was Barabbas, huh? Well, he's in his cell. That's where he is. What can he hear, huh? What can he hear? Well, this is where you're going to help me here, all right? I want you to be the crowds here. We're going to speak in the movies. We're going to do a little uh, acting here, huh? Here are your lines. When I, you've got two lines, all right? When I count to three, I want you to say, I want you to belt it out at the top of your voice. I want you to say, Barabbas, Barabbas. Are you ready? One, two, three. Barabbas, Barabbas. Oh, now, come on, you're not that convincing. All right, come on. You've got to get stirred up. Remember, the chief priests have stirred you up, so let's get stirred up. Here we go. One, two, three. Barabbas, Barabbas. One more time. One, two, three. Barabbas, Barabbas. That's very good. Now, here's your second line, all right? Your second line is, crucify him, crucify him. Are you ready? One, two, three. Crucify him, crucify him. Again, one, two, three. Crucify him, crucify him. Okay, you got those two lines down, all right? Now, I'm going to be Pilate, and you be the crowds, all right? Here we go. Here's Pilate. Which one do you want me to release for you? Barabbas, Barabbas. What shall I do then with Jesus? Crucify him, crucify him. Which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas, Barabbas, what shall I do then with Jesus? Crucify him, crucify him. Now here's the deal, right? I'm convinced that only Barabbas could hear you. Pilate didn't have a microphone. He didn't have an intercom system out in the foyer. Now I have everybody's attention out in the foyer. Barabbas is in his cell. What's the first thing he hears? One, two, three. Barabbas! Barabbas! What's the second thing he hears? One, two, three. Crucify him! Crucify him! And what's the third thing he hears? Footsteps down the hall from a Roman centurion He's a, dead, he's a dead man. His dream has collapsed. There's no system of appeal. Sentence has been passed. He's about ready to go to the cross. I wonder what that felt like. I can't believe it. How's this possible? One moment I was there, now I'm here. What just happened? I was in my cell, just sitting and waiting. All I could do was sit and wait, wait for the inevitable. I deserved what was coming. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'd done some awful things. I'd killed people. I'd destroyed whole families. Brazenly, as if I were king of the world. I knew, I knew eventually I'd have to reap what I sowed. Truthfully, I thought my time had come. I could hear the guards 
They were laughing and joking with each other. When they walked past my cell, they would mock me. Who's so big now? They'd say. Outside I could hear them sawing wood. And I knew, I knew they were building the cross they were going to use to kill me. And I could hear people shouting. And I was really tense. And I don't know why. I'm not afraid of death. I've faced death many times. I was numb to it. But it was, it was this death. This kind of death. It's so public. So humiliating. So painful. I've seen the look of people as they died on the cross painfully. I know it was painful. It took hours sometimes. I've seen them beg for mercy. I've seen them beg for people to kill them, to put them out of their misery. But not me. Not me. I wasn't going to die a coward. I wasn't going to cry, and I wasn't going to beg for mercy. They weren't going to have that satisfaction from me. Not from me. At least I hope not. If only, if only I hadn't been caught. <laughs> but, but it's too late for if only. Then I heard the noise. Outside the crowd got louder. They sounded angry. Furious. What was it that guy did that they had just taken out of the cell? From what I had heard, it wasn't much. Oh, he had caused a commotion in the synagogue and he had made some religious leaders and, and politicians look crazy, but big deal. Big deal. That was nothing compared to what I had done. I figured, based on what I knew about him, he just deserved a slap on the wrist. I figured they'd beat him because the public likes a good beating. I figured once he was humiliated, they'd let him go. They just needed to make an example of him. But then, but then I could hear the crowd. They were getting closer. I guess they were coming to see the beating. They were so close I could begin to hear what they were saying. What was it? What was it? It was my name. I could hear them yelling my name. And then I heard them yell, Crucify him! Crucify him! I could feel the blood pounding in my head. I know they hated me, but I had no idea my death would cause such a stir. I was getting more and more afraid. I called out to God, please God, make the noise stop. Make it go away. I told myself, this is it, Barabbas. Get control. Just get control. Just get control. Make the noise stop. Make the noise stop. And then it did. It did. It did. Because all I could hear was the noise outside my cell. The guards were back. And I could hear them slide that bolt back. Must have only taken seconds, but it seemed like forever. 
I began to panic. I called out to God, God, please forgive me for what I've done. Uh, and if you can't forgive me, at least be merciful. Let me die quickly. And then the door opened. And the guards came in. They were coming for me. Their lips were moving. And I could, I know they were talking, but what were they saying? They had to repeat it two or three times. They said, you're a free man. You've been released. Get out, you dog. What happened? I don't understand. Instead of me, they crucified Jesus. Now, here I stand. And he's dead. said we were going to talk about three questions. Who is Barabbas? We've talked about that. We've also talked about the question, who freed Barabbas? And now the third question, what does this have to do with my life? Well, don't you see? We're Barabbas. We're Barabbas. We're a community of redeemed Barabbases. That's who we are. And We're a community who has been released in order to love and worship and serve. I wonder, I wonder what happened with Barabbas. I wonder where he went. I wonder if he did go to Golgotha. I wonder if he did go to the cross. I wonder if his eyes, locked eyes, with the crucified one. 